This week, Ryan Hayes joins us, joins us even to talk about weaponizing Splunk. In the enterprise security news, more Tanium troubles, Microsoft Azure product support, the war on legacy IT, auditing is cool, automation is fun, web protection platform company gets some more funding, and tell me about your machine learning, please. All that and infinitely more on this episode of Enterprise Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we talk security vendors and aren't afraid to name names. It's Enterprise Security Weekly. Practice yeah. field, I had to do that to the door. And then once the wind caught it, I like flew outside the door. That's what that's, I awesome. call that a programmer's workout. Yes, that is a programmer's yeah. workout. I was at RSA. <laughs> I got out. I've seen things. I've seen horrible things. Pony Express, check out their line of penetration testing devices, including the Pone Pad, Pone Phone, and Pone Pro. For enterprises, there's Pone Pulse, providing continuous visibility into wired, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth spectrums across all physical locations, including remote sites and branch offices. For all those hard-to-reach places, there's Pony Express. Visit them on the web at PonyExpress.com. Gain control of cyber risk with Tenable IO, the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud, containers, and web apps. Discover a fresh, asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment. And improve ROI with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets, not IP addresses. Tenable IO delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface. Start your free Tenable IO trial today by visiting tenable.io. Logarithms Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Paul Asadorian, your host for today, and I've got some help uh, with me for this episode as well. It is episode 44. It is, I think, May 11th, the last I checked. It is May May 11th. Yes, I am correct. And uh, it's awesome to be here on Enterprise Security Weekly. We've got a special guest host today, Mr. Doug White who is the director of the Information Security Program for Roger Williams University. Doug, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's 44. 44. 44. Did I say 44? Yeah. Okay. 44. I'll, I'll make it the right way. This 44. Game, so. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So what's going on in your world, Doug? Things good? Oh, usually just the usual problems with servers going down, people's grades not, people's grades going down, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Everybody wants to be in cybersecurity, but nobody wants to do the work, you know, like, <laughs> is the salary really good? It's like, how uh -huh. about my 1.75 GPA? Will that cut it? Uh, no, maybe not. Yeah, that's what I said. Um, so a couple of announcements, uh, and, and Doug, you've been getting out to some of our, our the conferences we attend. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, AnyCon, we, we'll talk about in the next segment, but um, we're uh, supporting, of course, our good friends over at Black Hills Information Security 
for Wild West Hacking Fest. That's right. It's put on by Black Hills Information Security um, for anybody and everybody interested in information security. Join us on October 27th through the 28th for hands-on hardware hacking and talks by famous infosecers like Dave Kennedy, Deviant, Egypt, Chris Nickerson, Chris Gates, Mike Poor, and Sub T. Check them out at wildwesthackingfest.com. That's H-A-C-K-I-N-Fest.com. The Sands Pentest Hackfest Summit. That's right. It is uh, upon us for their call for presentations, which is now open. Uh, it's hosted by renowned hacker and Sands instructor Ed Scotus. They're looking for presentations on new attack techniques, remediation, challenges to existing security methodology, methodologies even, and improving the business value of penetration testing. Send your submissions to pentestcfp at sans.org by 5 p.m. It's 5 p.m. Eastern Time, Friday, May 26th, with the subject line, SANS Pentest Hackfest Summit CFP 2017. The event will take place uh, in November on the 13th through the 14th at the Hyatt Regency in Bethesda, 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 Maryland, Bethesda, Maryland. Bethesda. Bethesda, not Bethesda. Bethesda. It's not a, a long E. It's a, sh- a short E, Bethesda. So, what are we what are we Bethesing today? <laughs> Tanium's in trouble. That's what we're we're talking about first. What is your take on Tanium, dude? This is not good. More not good news for Tanium. Uh, yeah. I mean, Tanium is has been a company that had VM components in it. Uh, VMware was supposed to buy them. And now I think that it doesn't look like that's probably going to happen. So some people, uh, you know, I think, think maybe that uh, VMware is getting out of the endpoint business. Uh, that I don't know. I mean, I, I was I was reading this article, and Tanium secures endpoints. So the idea was to to protect all these punches into the VMware, and. Uh, but it looks like maybe this stuff's starting to fall apart that, I don't know, maybe VMware is concerned about how, how the quality of this or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure the, the reason. Uh, it was uh, like a divorce. Part. This is like a reverse partnership announcement. Basically, VMware and Tanium said, yeah, we're gonna, like, getting a divorce and we're, we're parting ways. We're no longer going to be partners, which I, this is the first time we've ever co- covered a story about a partnership that's gone in the reverse direction. Normally we talk about integrations and it's exciting. This is kind of like, ooh, that's that's not good. I'm not sure what well, VMware's endpoint play was. I mean, they do have that technology where it's like a virtual desktop. Yeah, it's called VMView. VMView, yeah, I can see maybe Tanium integrating on that side. Although you do VMView yeah. so you don't have to manage all of those endpoints in a distributed fashion, which is really where Tanium comes in that peer-to-peer network between endpoints that gets created to collect and distribute information back up to a central point. So uh, I wasn't really clear what the exact integration was, um, but they both decided that uh, they wanted to part ways. So, Well, I, I know that, that VMware View is, is this very complex thing. So so setting it up is, is definitely, I've set it up, and it's, it's actually pretty complicated. Uh, so maybe this Tanium thing was supposed to be a way to just manage all those stations because mm-hmm. even though that, that VMware manages them with VMware View, when you actually need to secure them, and you, I don't know, I had some concerns about that. 
I, I've been involved in a couple of these merger type things with different companies. And, and I will say that sometimes what people think a merger is going to be like and what a merger is actually like, especially when you take a company like Tanium, that's a smaller company and they start to get bolted onto this behemoth. They, yep. they think, oh, it's going to be this awesome relationship and we're going to be dating. But instead, it's this, it's this awful relationship where VMware steps in and says, have you filled out the TPS reports? Have you filed all these things? Here's your official badge. And I don't know that VMware is like that, so I'm not criticizing VMware from that perspective. But, but I've seen that. And this smaller company thinks, oh, this will be great. We'll have all this money and resources. But instead, what happens is a giant behemoth steps in and says, no, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to be engulfed by our organization. You will do everything like this. And, and, and a lot of these innovative type people sort of go, wow, I, I want out as quick as I can. And they decide to just, you know, let the deal go away. Yeah, and I, I think Tanium was, uh, you know, on that fast track of, of growth. If you track their growth in history, like look them up on Owler, for example. I mean, I know just from covering them for, for quite some time, um, they're like one of the most fastest growing startups in terms of uh, funding, in terms of market share, um, and they just exploded growth. And I think that I'm hoping that that was kind of the culprit and that they're going to learn how to uh, turn some things around and work in that uh, environment that they've created for themselves today, which was vastly different from even a year ago or two years ago. Like their growth has been tremendous. They're one of the hottest uh, startup type companies uh, in security. And I think well, that I, I you mean, know that comes back to bite you, man, because they had culture uh, issues they had to deal with, they had uh, data handling issues they had to deal with, and now they've got integration and, and partnership issues they've had to deal with. Maybe they just decided, hey, look, this wasn't a great uh, partnership for us, and we shouldn't have done it in the first place. And they realized that, hey, as we grow, like we really have to mature our corporate culture uh, in a positive way, and. Um, you know, put in policies and procedures for handling all these customers' data, those are all like growing, can be, could be attributed to growing pain problems. Well, and, and I, I always call it the cigar box problem, too. It's it, sometimes startups have gone from nothing. You know, we're operating out of the garage to we're a multi-million dollar concern, and they attract the interest of these giant sharks that are floating around out there like Microsoft, IBM, yep. HP, all these kind of companies. And you see somebody sort of swoop in there, they whine you, they dine you, they bring in all kinds of swag, and they say, look how cool this is going to be when you're part of our corporate life. And then their cultures just really run into a giant snag right there. And this entrepreneur who developed the company is, is really still in the mindset of we, we operate out of the garage. But now they're suddenly thrust into this thing. I'm going to be a senior VP. I've got to act like one. And oh, yeah. Always, and we should you know, uh, clarify, Doug. They, they, this wasn't a merger that went – this was just an integration. I'm sorry that went the other way. When I said partnership, I might have uh, been confusing. This was just a technology integration that they decided to uh, break ways. It wasn't an oh. actual merger. Okay, but there were, it is I confusing because there. I was, I was reading it that, that they were getting acquired. Yeah, I, I well, no, but it was interesting, and I can see where the confusion might be for a lot of people because it does mention in the article there were rumors that VMware was going to acquire Tanium, but that in fact did not happen. So yeah, uh, I, I think I think the article I read was about the acquisition, which now I'm actually looking at it again. I see that it was they had talks, and it took in 2015. Yeah, they were so, in negotiations okay, yeah. for acquisition, so, correct? Yeah, but they didn't that's go more through. More what it. I'm thinking about. 
But it could also be a technology problem then too. Just you know, yeah. it just doesn't fit well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen that quite a bit too, where they want to acquire it. VMware realizes bolting this onto our product isn't going to work, and they say, "Okay, I'm out. Thanks." Um, a lot of buzz lately about uh, Microsoft Azure. Um, I think, and that just could be in some of my circles. And I think this is this has always been the case, and I think this has been uh, looming for quite some time. And in, I feel like in the things that I've heard recently and the number of people in uh, the people in various positions that have said, like basically Azure's like, if you run an um, uh, exchange and Active Directory environment, like you're pretty much going to Azure and everyone already knew this, right? But a lot of uh, security technologies now um, are, are hopping on. It's kind of like we've reached the point of adoption where it's getting a lot more interest from security companies. Um, I wish we had been, uh, you know, if you have a crystal ball, you can see this coming, but um, what I've learned in in the past couple of months, especially that I think is important in this conversation, because Cisco's CloudLock is now available for Microsoft Azure. Other cloud companies that I talk to are like, yeah, Azure's like, we're working on support, we're gonna release it soon, or we just released it. Basically, if you've got some exchange boxes and you're running them locally, uh, your migration path is to the cloud. I think a lot of Active Directory uh, installations and technologies go right into the cloud, and Microsoft is just continuing to push that. And as we know, shops, and I don't blame you for this at all, I think you have absolutely every right to be resistant to huge changes on your Active Directory in your exchange environments because they are complex beasts. So when security comes to you and says, well, you need to put AD in Azure and you need to move to Office 365, like, oh yeah, you know what, next week we'll just we'll just do that. Like, There's a lot of planning that has to go in uh, to all of this. And I think that's one reason why it's taking some time. Microsoft's beating the drum. That takes time to push its customers in the right direction. And now we're starting to see more and more security companies, uh, thankfully, supporting this platform. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, certainly you're seeing Office 365 and all these products start to just really suck all the, the work up into the cloud. And managing that via Active Directory locally is very doable. It, you know, it's just a matter of VPNing all that stuff up to the cloud, but trying to manage a large number of documents. I think they're trying to take the appy and push down because all those attributes that exist on the Microsoft files are not really managed. And when you start pushing them into the cloud and sharing them across a multinational enterprise or even not a statewide enterprise, you're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of documents and, and spreadsheets and all these other pieces. And all those things have many, many security attributes uh, involved in them. So being able to reach into that API and secure that via Active Directory really gives you a, a lot more granularity on how you're going to control any of that individualized stuff. And because that that cloud suck, I'll call it, the, the cloud suck vacuum is pulling everything together in this very central place, which is very nice for an old mainframer type like me. But it also means that the management issue becomes just unbelievable because now you are dealing with so many things. And because exploits and holes can come through any of those documents, any of those spreadsheets, and all those spreadsheets and documents have the ability to punch into the API as well, you need a way to expand your control 
using, you know, the appy itself as opposed to just trying to come up with, I don't know, scripts. I don't know what you do to look at all that stuff. Well, but you, it, it, you're, it's a great point, and I've actually spoken with vendors in this space that are helping with the data management problem uh, in uh, Office 365 as an example. And, you know, like when everything's local and you have local file servers, you know, you use firewalls and all this. Other, they like physically can't share that stuff out, right? Um, you know, the file sharing protocols were blocked by most major ISPs in 2003. Um, so they just physically can't do that. And in fact, when that happened, it broke a lot of people's stuff. You're like, well, wait, why was SMB sharing going over the internet? It's so people could share files. And now we have Office 365. Hey, look, all my files are on the internet now. Right. And the way that I control that is not with firewall. Now I have to control it with, like you said, some other uh, management control that is uh, looking at all of the attributes for all of those and managing the permissions in the cloud, which is completely different. We need a completely different solution. Those right. solutions are, are fast and furious uh, coming to market because now people, oh, I can just give you a link to that document. You know, that's that's great. Right. You can share it. So. And, I, and I mean, and, and this is a, this is a problem and a reward of granularity, which means that as you go above layer three, so now that you start trying to solve these problems up at layer seven or whatever, that you still need the firewalls down below because all those underlying you know waters are there. But all these documents can interact. Uh, you've got people using OneDrive. You've got all kinds of things like that. So the fact that anybody can push things up there from their local device, yeah, the layer three stuff and below no dice, it's not going to see it at all. It just sees it as a packet stream and it may even be encrypted. So it's now coming from you know higher layers in the stack. So that means you're going to need API-driven stuff at layer seven in order to manage this. The, the negative with that, of course, is, is, is just a problem of granularity in general, which is that now you have a management problem that is massive because you're managing so many attributes on so many levels at so many locations. And it's a, a threat to enterprise is going to be that they need to be sure and staff that because always the sales pitch is that this is going to reduce your workforce. But the reality of it is, is that now that one poor person who's responsible for Active Directory suddenly has an expanded role of managing millions and millions and millions of attributes all over the world that have that users have control of. And it becomes a nightmare to try to manage, even if you have tools like Active Directory. So you need things like CloudLock, which help you automate and administer the massive amount of granularity and attributes that you're going to have to manage at higher layers in a stack. Yeah, and I think with that complexity, you're going to need development resources. I don't think you're going to need less resources. You might need different resources. And I think oh, yeah. developers yeah. are going to, you know, people with, and not hardcore software engineers, right? But you need people with some development experience because like you said, Doug, now you can programmatically access all of those attributes in the cloud. And we're seeing that, you know, with DevOps and all of these new cloud technologies. But the way you interface with that is via like a programming language. And now I'm sure that's going to mature and there are going to be products. Customization is still going to have to happen. You're still going to need those um, programming resources to be able to help you with that. So I think that's a, a huge skill that's going to have to carry forward. And I, I like what you said about different resources, too, because one of the things that's difficult is when you're talking about management layer three and below, that's network engineering problems. That's basic security problems and yeah. the firewall, like we were talking about. When you go above that and you start getting into layer seven type management, 
all of a sudden that layer of appy management is a really different animal and it doesn't have to be a software engineer but it's definitely a different skill set than somebody blocking port 3389 on the yeah, firewall yeah. saying we're good to go right yep i absolutely agree uh and the other article i had in there was along the lines of what we're talking about um that uh well I'm not sure where this data came from. It came from Sky High Networks, which is, you know, essentially a CASB uh, and playing in the cloud. So, of course, they're going to find statistics that say the perception of cloud as categorically insecure relative to on-premise software has not stood the test of time. 62.9% of IT professionals now believe the public cloud is more secure than or equally secure as their own data centers. Uh, okay. Well, I'm not sure it's now, that high. I it, it might. I'm not sh sure. I mean, that seems kind of high uh, for me, as we ironically talk about sky high. But uh, it just. Uh, and I'm not saying they're high. That's not what I'm saying, in that sense. But that number. <laughs> well, that they could they, be. They could be. That number does helpful. seem uh, high uh, to me. Um, but you know, I think it's a, just a natural progression that we're in, and we've talked about this movement to cloud. However, you're still going to have desktops. Can't I mean I, I still need to access the cloud with something, right? Am I going to sit in front of my mobile device or tablet all day? Maybe tablet, maybe. I mean, maybe a, a Chromebook. It's kind of like in between <laughs> a tablet and a laptop. I don't know. You're still going to have to sit down at your desk and work and use something to access it, and that's still going to require a physical device. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I wrote a paper last year for a company, it was a private white paper, because it was a company that was trying to convince managers that the cloud was safe. And and again, I'll, I'll go back to the, I'm an old mainframer type. And to me, the cloud is just another type of mainframe. I mean, it's a very similar environment to what we had because it, it's centralizing resources, it's centralizing storage, it's centralizing everything. And the more I can make your local terminal a terminal instead of a desktop, the better off I am. So I do think there's some inherent security advantages in the cloud with some assumptions. My biggest assumption was that the people that were managing the cloud side of the resources knew what they were doing. So just like the mainframe, if your mainframe people had no idea what they were doing, your mainframe sucked. But if your cloud stuff is, is secure, I think you get economies of scale and you, you get an advantage from your multinational or national level company in putting all those resources in a single place so they can be backed up, managed and administered and secured by the same set of security professionals who you we assume know what they're doing so they can secure those things in the cloud. Um, trying, to, trying to manage that stuff out at the end user level is a nightmare. And we went through this with the transition from mainframe to the decentralized model. And they kept telling us how let users manage their own material would save us money and time and everything else. And I remember back then I was saying, you must be crazy. And I say, pull it back into the cloud. Now, you're right, the desktop has to sit there. And anytime you let those idiotic users touch anything, they're gonna damage things. So you have to have just as good management in the cloud. But if you can centralize that, I think you can reduce the amount of, of effort that it takes across a huge, uh, I don't know, surface that you're going to have to try to manage. Um, I wanted to, oh, so uh, along these lines, it's kind of interesting. It's a good segue into um, automation and orchestration. And it's interesting, and I'm not sure cloud necessarily plays into it, but um, 
I, I still think it's about people, process, and technology. Um, and these security automation and orchestration tools are getting a lot more attention. And I, I don't think it's like we can just say, well, you know, I, and they want to be the primary dashboard for your organization, but you can't just say, look, let's take your SIM and your firewall and your endpoint protection and we'll just aggregate that stuff down uh, and we'll use some security automation uh, technology that'll be the dashboard and I'll be able to just point and click and look, I can do security. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Um, you have to have a, a structured program, right, before you can get anything out of all of these tools. You have to know what you're looking for, know what you're defining, know what you're monitoring, know what actions to take when you find something. Then you can start taking care of, uh, taking a look at, rather, this security uh, automation stuff. Well, I, I, I like to call this whole problem the RoboCop problem. And, and, and the RoboCop problem is, is essentially that, you, you, like you said, Paul, you, you can't just gel down security to this nice set of ordered managed tasks. Now, what you can do is using automation and using these types of tools can provide you with a solid baseline. So what you want as a security administrator in the enterprise is this nice flaccid surface. And that flaccid surface is maintained by automation. So you're looking out on this nice, smooth sea. When you start seeing waves and ripples on the sea, that's when you're going to have to have a security administrator who actually does know what they're doing to step in and go out there and investigate what's causing those ripples. The rest of the time, the automation can maintain that low-level stuff, but RoboCop's not going to go in there and solve it when, when all these ripples start happening. That's when the RoboCop's just going to go and blow everything away or RoboCop's going to ignore it altogether, and you're going to get taken down. So I like the idea of automation because anything that reduces the volume of logging, because one of the original problems in security was how do I even begin to process this? And the first job I ever walked into where I was managing security on a mainframe, they handed me this giant stack of logs that was like three feet high, and they said, this is the logs from yesterday. You need to go through these and sign off on every page this morning. Mostly what we do is sign the top page and let it go. And that's that, you know, that's that placid surface though. And so you've got to have that automation tool to just make that surface nice and smooth. It's just when you start seeing those ripples, which have to be the, the real exceptions and unusual thing, that that's when somebody with actual eyes, ears, and a brain has to step in and do something. And that's, and that's the danger as well, because then the danger becomes, oh, automation will save us. And they take the low-level person who was doing the automation job yeah. and sit them up in the high chair and say, watch for ripples. And they don't know what a ripple is, and they don't know what a wave is, and they don't know what a tsunami is. And so they tend to either ignore or overreact everything. So you've got to have trained people sitting up in that higher chair. Yeah, and I think when you have those trained people, that's where automation can come in, right? Absolutely. So you can look at one of those ripples. I like your, your analogy. And uh, what the orchestration tools let you do is say, oh, right, when you see this, like go do those, that stuff over there, notify those people over there, and then when they come back with this, then you like go do this other thing, um, and being able to look at that on a daily basis or weekly basis, right, and be able to automate something is awesome because now you can say, yeah, when you see that ripple, there's this process that needs to, to happen. Right. But, you know, obviously it's a, a person has to create that process. Uh, technology is going to help automate it. There still is people that might need to get involved in the process uh, after that, right? So Absolutely. The, the process part is important because, you know, I may say, well, you know, like when you see this kind of 
malware activity, you open a ticket with the desktop people and they do X, Y, Z, and then, you know, they assign it back. Like it's a whole process and it's important to take that stuff out so that the senior analyst doesn't have to worry about it and can look for the other nefarious things. But I, I, I think it has its place. But my point is there's a lot of stuff that surrounds it, right? Having good data coming in, having people that know what to do. And the important point of what I said as well, which most people don't have all the time, is knowing who to notify to take action. If there's an event that you're trying to automate, you, if someone needs to do something, you need to know who to tell to do that, right? Like maybe it's your right. web app team needs to go fix some code or whatever, or whatever the case is. You need to know who, and they have to be aware of the whole process uh, and be willing to take action. Uh, and, and that's the only way things are going to get more secure. Well, and I, I used to, the, another analogy I used to use with boards and things was, was to talk about uh, it's pretty easy for uh, a person that has no training to identify an emergency. So someone sees smoke, they see a guy with a weapon, they see whatever, they can say it's an emergency. But knowing that I need a police officer or I need a, a, an ambulance or a fire truck is a much more difficult decision. And then those specialized tools being enacted is even a more difficult thing altogether. So, you know, just the automation is just that lowest level of thing. It detects that the window broke. And, you know, once that window breaks, I don't know what caused it, a rock, a bird, who knows. But once the window's broken, an alarm needs to go off and somebody should go investigate. And that's that higher level of person. So you have to be very careful as, as an enterprise manager or, or a CIO or a CSO. To, to think about the staffing of those positions and not let, don't get fooled by the marketing because the marketing will always tell you this will reduce your personnel, it will reduce your cost, and it may actually reduce your physical personnel. But if you get rid of three low level analysts and replace them with one high level analyst, that may not reduce your cost at all. So you're going to have to be very careful that you staff these positions with people who know what they're doing and don't get carried away with reduction because then you're going to end up not seeing the ripples and the ripples are going to turn into tsunamis and you're going to get taken out. Um, I just want to note that uh, Beyond Trust had a nice write-up on Power Broker. Turns out auditing is cool. Uh, it was a really nice write-up because they have, hey, look, these are the new features that we implemented. Like, here's a screenshot of how it works uh, and here's the benefit. So they did, they did a nice job. I also think that technologies like uh, uh, Power Broker uh, being able to audit certain aspects uh, of your network, be alerted when privileged things change in your environment, yeah. privileged identity management, um, or even just regular identity management is really important in security. I think this is one thing where if you were uh, to look at it from like not a security perspective, but more of a controls perspective and say, well, you know, someone has to provision access and manage that. If you help them do their job better, well, guess what? You're going to pick up on security events. Like, why all of a sudden was this new group added to our domain admins? Like, that was that was weird. Um, so having a good process around that in, in technology is important. And also, nice post from uh, Beyond Trust. Yeah, I, I like the idea to me of Power Broker is, is, is sort of derivative of, of an old product called Tripwire. And, and Tripwire, if, if you're not familiar with it, was, was a product that went through your hard drive on a server and it created a hash of every file, every folder and all these things. If any of those hashes changed, it sent you an alert saying something has changed. 
So try and expand that into the world of audit and control. Because when we first started doing controls, and I mean, I wrote a lot of controls and a lot of tests of audit controls for a couple of large companies. And when I was writing those controls, I kept preaching what we were just preaching five minutes or I was preaching five minutes ago, which was how do you manage this? Mm. How do you observe it? Because now it's we're back to the same problem. Where's that nice, smooth surface so we can see the ripples? And you start talking about audit controls. I can roll that right back to when we were talking earlier about uh, about CloudLock and say, you know, think about the, the millions and millions of attributes that could all be possible threats. Somebody has to be able to control it. So being able to take all your audit controls, up that again, make a nice smooth surface that you say, this is all being managed. When I see some ripples out there, something changed, an active directory setting changed, a permission changed, something changed, a printer became accessible. All that's really, really nice stuff. So being able to do that with some automation tools like, like Power Broker or whatever really facilitates that and means you can shift that observation up to a higher level. Mm. Uh, in Vincia <laughs> published an article about uh, machine learning. It was very much a, a PDF. It was a marketing document. And they were basically, uh, my comment was, holy marketing, Batman. Um, <laughs> and they were just talking about their machine learning. And I, I was, they didn't answer the question, like, what makes your machine learning better than anyone else's machine learning? They really just talked about machine learning. And I, I just didn't get that from the document. And I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, they talked about things that really don't matter, right? Like, they're like, well, we've been tested by a third party, and we have data scientists, and we have DARPA technology, uh, and we're really fast. But you, you, what matters is if you can actually stop the threats without impacting the environment. Uh, and, and endpoint machine learning that's specific to endpoint technology has to do those things. And they didn't talk about those things. Um, so I thought it was kind of a failed attempt uh, from Invincia to convince people that, hey, we have the best technology. Uh, I just, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. It was very much a, a, a failed marketing attempt in my, in my don't fall for is basically what I'm saying. Now, they very well could have the best machine learning and the best endpoint technology. And I would love to hear why you think that, but this, this document didn't do it. I need some, I have to get my, I have to get my cigar to gesture with. Marketing means never having to say you're sorry. I'm trying to get all overwhelming in the camera. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, marketing is all about selling you something and convincing you that it, their, mine is better than yours. And I think probably the problem since Turing wrote the first paper back in the 30s about machine learning, or even go back to Babbage or whoever you want to go back to about machine learning, is all. this is always going to be a very nebulous and complex problem. Proving that my machine learns better than yours, you can measure it with speed. So I can mm -hmm. say, my machine learns to beat you at chess much, much faster than this other one over here. Okay, that, there, that's a way to measure it. Does that mean it's better? I don't know. Depends on what the task at hand is. So if the machine learning is about identifying malware in the wild, well, it's going to take, a, to convince me anyway, it's going to take testing. And the problem is, is that malware is a, is a moving target. It changes constantly. The way the signatures work changes constantly. So telling me that machine learning is going to, is better than this other machine learning over here, you're going to have to provide something more than just a marketing picture with a cool t-shirt. I didn't get the cool t-shirt even so. 
Uh, you're going to have to take it a step further and show me some actual data. Show me how your machine learning actually adapts to change, and, and then maybe I'll be convinced. Absolutely. Uh, one last quick note. Uh, Signal Sciences uh, is debuting. Uh, well, it says they're debuting. The title's kind of messed up, but um, they're a web protection platform. Yes, they're a sponsor, and yes, their technology is awesome, and they got a, a Series B round uh, of funding. Uh, that they announced uh, this week as well. Uh, so they closed $50 million in their Series B. I want to mention because I think they're uh, great uh, web protection technology. Um, again, they're a sponsor, but uh, their stuff is cool. And it came from the people uh, that some of the people who were at Etsy, uh, who are known in the security uh, world and community for being awesome at web application security. So... Yeah, I mean, this is a product that's adaptable, so it's trying to look at, you know, uh, and some of this ties, again, it's a good layout of articles, Paul. You did a good job. Hey, thanks. Um, it, it's kind of a segue. So, I mean, when you go right back into the idea that not only are applications being developed on the fly, that apps can be developed and added very, very quickly. I mean, you know, in hours or less that you actually have web pages being developed by machine learning, by artificial intelligence, by auto generation. All these different aspects mean that things are in a constant state of flux, and you're going to need better and better automated tools to, again, maintain that nice smooth water out there that, so you can see when the ripples start. And, and that's what products like this try to do. So I haven't evaluated the products. So I'll, I'll rely on your judgment because it's probably better than mine anyway. But but I mean, I, I like the idea of that because this is scary stuff. And I've seen this being implemented in companies where they're making active dynamic web pages that are being generated as a response to customer action. They're being generated as a response to data changes. All those things can be used to generate pages on the fly. And if you've got that, that means malware could get generated on the fly as well. Threats, polls, exploits, all that stuff could be generated on the fly. And when that happens, you better have more than just, say, me sitting in a room somewhere where I've been for 32 hours straight watching that screen. Because if you don't, you're going to get nailed. <laughs> awesome. So that is the Enterprise Security News for this week. Very special thanks to Doug White for coming on and uh, hosting the news. Oh, wait. But we have something more. Ryan Hayes from TBG Security will be coming up next to talk about weaponizing Splunk. So stay tuned. <laughs>